I'm Rita Ching Epic, and this is an excerpt from The Last to Die. The morning the glass woman arrived on the island, all the security cameras blinked out at the same time. Surveillance drones swooned from the sky, tumbling softly onto genetically modified lawns that smelled like wildflowers grown in beakers of rain and cleaning fluid. Safety bots powered down mid-task in scandalous poses, legs akimbo, rears in the air. The last to die hardly knew what to make of the strange turn of events, having lived the past few decades under the around-the-clock care of these machines. Some of them feared that catastrophe had struck the outside world, from which they dwelled in relative isolation. Others barely noticed, their minds long ago having decomposed into yard waste, the synaptic branches cut, the nuclei withered like weak-old rosebuds. Still others detected an opportunity for mischief and photographed themselves in mock conjugation with the safety bots or smeared lipstick into smiles on their sheeny, vacant faces. The disturbance didn't last long. One by one, the machines reawakened to the sight of this strange woman whose carbon endoskeleton and neurocircuitry were bare for all to see. She marched into the local office of the Bureau of Elder Affairs and up to the check-in console, accompanied by a dark-haired man in his mid to late fifties who neither spoke nor made eye contact with anyone. The screen flickered on. In a voice like a fork clinking against the champagne glass, she stated her request. In her home office on the mainland, Lan Yun Montez, regional director of the Bureau of Elder Affairs, gaped. She had never seen a model like the glasswoman's before. It was as though the factory had assembled her body, but forgotten the final steps of affixing the silicone skin and gluing on the wig. I'm not sure I understand, she said to the glasswoman. You're looking for an apartment? On the island? I'm looking for a place where we can stay for the foreseeable future. Ideally with a small yard, but a large patio would be fine as well. Sound about right, Max? Max just continued staring at the floor. He fluttered his fingers, perhaps in a show of assent. But this isn't a rental market, Lenyun said. It's all government-funded housing for the elderly, Ms. Lights on the glasswoman's circuits twinkled, and suddenly she seemed to Lenyun something like a prehistoric god a titan who had swallowed a thousand fireflies. Lanyun wondered if her own insides looked like that. Call me Beth, the glasswoman said in a way that struck Lanyun distinctly as a lie. It would mean a lot to me and Max if you could make an exception for us. His health has been deteriorating and he needs the doctors on the island, but I don't want to just abandon him here. Lanyun had been about to deny her request, who knew what else this Beth was lying about? But at that moment, Max tilted his face to the light. Familiarity ghosted through Len Yun, and with that familiarity, the sense that she'd failed to grasp some eminently important fact. She might have dismissed it as deja vu, except her mind was beyond such biological inefficiencies as deja vu. Give me a moment, Len Yun said. Lanyun snuffed her camera and mic with a hand so she could confer with her housekeeper, 
a robot programmed to say only yes, indeed, and of course ma'am, whom Lan Yun had, for pretty much that reason, come to consider a therapist. I know him from somewhere. Her too. Something about the way she speaks. I mean, what does appearance mean anyway when you can swap bodies on a whim? Indeed, the robot said. So I should let them stay on the island for now, right? The smart thing to do is to keep them where I can observe them. Yes. I know it's impulsive, but I've done great work for the Bureau and for the people on this island. I'm sure they'll respect my decision. Of course, ma'am. The last to die lived on islands around the world. How the idea to gather them on these islands had come about, no one could say. Perhaps the deathless simply grew weary of being reminded of the dying. After all, some of them still remembered a time when their own mortality hung about them like mosquitoes at a picnic. Then there were those who never knew frailty, who underwent the transfer procedure days after birth and came to consciousness in bodies liberated from hunger, cold, and skinned knees. Perhaps it was these cyborgs, or neo-humans as they like to call themselves, who first proposed moving the last to die to the islands, these new beings connected to the old ones in neither blood nor visage, only idea. News of the glasswoman spread quickly among the island's inhabitants. Clarissa Polyakov threw a glass against her wall when she heard. It bounced and then rolled along her living room floor because of course real glass was too dangerous to keep around the last to die. She called her friends, a group of people who, for spiritual or other reasons, had refused cyberization. To comfort her, they brought over bottles of the finest red wines and wedges of pungent French cheeses, which they'd acquired for a steal because the deathless consumed no food or drink. They sat in a circle, retelling stories from their youth while the cheese stung their tongues and the wine patted their minds. They think they can just move in here, Clarissa said. The rest of the world is already theirs. Can't they at least leave us be on our little island? One of Clarissa's friends draped an arm around her. These cyborgs feel so entitled to everything, the friend said. Well, we're not going to let them ruin this place for us, too. Hums of agreement crowded the room. Most of Clarissa's friends had been relocated to this island, if not forcibly, then at least with great reluctance. The outside world had grown too dangerous too quickly for the human body. There were fewer and fewer doctors, themselves a dying breed, more and more engineers. Companies stopped insuring individuals who either couldn't or wouldn't be cyberized. Ambulances, if a particular city had them at all, took hours to arrive. Here were handrails and slipguards, sharp corners throttled with foam. Matthew Akiwowo, retired astrophysicist, threw a party. After three rounds of a convoluted strategy-based board game, he and his friends, most of whom were former scientists themselves, started a betting pool about the identity of the glass woman. Government spy, one of them said, nodding knowingly. Another rolled her eyes and took a puff from her vaporizing device, the exhalation trailing from her lips like an unfinished thought. Artificial intelligence disguised as human...
Matthew waved his hand impatiently. You're all wrong, he said. Extra-terrestrial. Willow McNamara Fursad rooted through the boxes her daughters had dumped at her place before running off to research phytoplankton in the Amazon and found a pair of binoculars and a folding camping chair. Wheedling a neighbor into joining her, they set out for the more isolated northern tip of the island, where the Bureau of Elder Affairs had lodged the glass woman. Like whale watchers, the two of them sat with their binoculars a small distance from the farmhouse, passing back and forth baggies of peaches sliced by their robot housekeepers, slurping the tacky nectar from their fingers. They bragged about their children's accomplishments, world-renowned expert on microalgae, just made partner at top law firm dealing in cyber copyrights. Will your daughter come visit you soon? Willow's friend asked. She's very busy, Willow said. Very, very busy. I'm glad she's putting her career first. Willow was, of course, lying. After a back surgery nine months prior, while still loopy from the anesthesia, she'd confessed to the medbots her fear that she would die without getting another chance to see her daughter, who visited once every five to six years. I'm trying to stay hopeful, Willow had said, sobbing, but maybe we're all just kidding ourselves. The medbots, unable to distinguish between emotional and physical pain, gave her a large dose of morphine. She fell asleep immediately, so that kind of solved that. If a single word existed to describe the state of the last to die, it would mean something akin to hopeful. They were on the island because by the time the technology became available, their brains had atrophied too much for them to survive the transfer procedure. But how can this be, Willow had asked her doctor when he told her that she would be ineligible for cyberization. I eat well, exercise, and do crossword puzzles daily. My mind is as clear as it was when I was in my 30s. The doctor explained that what mattered was not the subjective experience of clarity, but the physical condition of the brain. The technology is getting better every day, he added. So at some point in the future, they may figure out a way to cyberize older brains. Don't give up yet. People like Willow were hopeful because they had no alternative but to pray for another breakthrough to come along and save them from death. They were hopeful because sadness only further damaged the brain by increasing inflammation. And when an extra day potentially meant extra lifetimes, sadness was an emotion they dared not feel. After all, who among them didn't remember that headline from 30 years ago? The first generation to live forever. After decades of beta testing, of dead subjects and subjects doomed to lie awake but immobile in their machine bodies, Scientists had finally found a way to consistently digitize human consciousness. Once cyberized, the scientists crowed, you are no longer tied to an aging, fragile body. You can have a new body, one that is stronger and more easily repaired. And should that new body break down, you can simply be downloaded into another body, so long as you have backed up your data. Amidst the celebrations over this next human step, no one wanted to ruin the mood by stating the obvious. If there was to be a first generation to live forever, then it followed that there must be a last generation to die.